Hey guys, welcome back to the Tech Check for Season 3, Episode 14. Before we begin, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, today we have Ryan from Monet. Uh, Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Ryan Stockbauer. I'm the CTO of Monet, which is a fintech startup based here in Boston. Uh, we are about almost two years old now. Um, I joined the company in the summer of 2021. Uh, I was their first technical hire, and I have built a small team, mostly in Boston, uh, but also throughout the United States. So could you just give us like a brief overview of what Monet does? Yeah. Um, Monet is a cash flow analysis platform for small business owners. Uh, typically, we say $50 million a year in revenue or less. Uh, sometimes we refer to it as a virtual CFO. Um, this is typically for companies, either micro businesses who will never have a, a finance person uh, or companies who are growing but don't have a finance person yet. Um, we ingest their accounting ledger data. So most, not all, but most businesses use an accounting package. Typically you'll start with like QuickBooks Online or something like that, FreshBooks, um, to do your books. And uh, we pull in all that accounting data, we analyze it. Uh, do trend analysis, stuff like that, uh, and say, this is where you come from, and this is sort of the path that you're on. And it's not pure math. It's um, There's like business rules uh, sprinkled throughout the special sauce uh, to actually improve its accuracy. Um, and then we sell this, so this is free to users, uh, and then we sell this uh, to banks, typically. Um, we're also talking to other non-bank financial institutions. Um, think of uh, the operating systems of your particular industry vertical, Toast, Shopify, uh, Square, that sort of thing. Um, lots of people, small business owners live their lives uh, in those industry vertical software packages. Um, and so, Having insight into what, what's happening from a financial perspective uh, is useful there. But our bread and butter customers are banks who want to serve their small business customers better. Awesome. So um, what inspired the foundation of Monet and more specifically, like where did the name come from? <laughs> so Bank of America has a cash flow analysis tool that allows you to sort of peer into the future. They're the 800 pound gorilla of the small business banking space. Uh, they released this tool to their small business customers um, just about two years ago now. And this scared other banks who said, we, we need a tool like this also, uh, because there was some PR, I guess, that uh, this tool was seeing pretty good penetration uh, and usage among small business customers. And so Eastern actually approached uh, one of our founders and said, hey, you were doing something like this before at your previous company. Um, that company had been focused on individuals and their finances as opposed to small businesses, but conceptually rather similar. Um, I will say that businesses and users tend to care about different things when it comes to accounting and finance. Um, so the insights that a person would care about are not always directly applicable. That being said, the competencies that you build around working with financial data um, translate pretty well, even if the specific things you calculate are different. 
Interesting. So um, I looked at your website, and as you mentioned before, Monik does a lot of predictive analysis for cash flow and basically replaces um, a CFO's job. So how does this? How does um, your platform do this predictive analysis? Um, do you guys use AI or um, just more about that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's where we are today, and then there's the places we're trying to get to. Um, so today we we work with a company called Kodat. They are sort of our connector platform, the pipes, if you will, for data. Uh, they are the last mile to FreshBooks, uh, QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, uh, Zero, Wave, name your accounting package, and they they generally have a connector for it. And they do some data normalization to kind of bash it into a canonical format. This works pretty well. There are always rough edges because data models between software platforms, even software platforms that are working on the same problems uh, often differ in subtle uh, ways. Um, that being said, they do a pretty good job. Um, so we pull down all of the ledger data from Kodat normalized into a, an open banking-ish format. Um, if, if, for example, if you guys look at the JSON, you'd be like, this looks like something that I could imagine on my bank statement, for example, uh, or my credit card statement. Um, <clears throat> so we pull all of that down for all of time. We calculate a bunch of basic arithmetic things. These are what we call key numbers. What's your net margin? What's your gross margin? Um, do you have any uh, accounts payable, outstanding accounts receivable, outstanding? How are you trending in that direction? Um, I'm not the statistical wizard behind this. This is our head of product, Constantine. Um, so there's the basic arithmetic. There's also, we do a little bit of Bayesian analysis as well. Um, and we're starting to have bits of machine learning as part of our data ingestion pipeline as well. Um, as I mentioned before, banks are typically the ones that pay us, like that, that's where our revenue comes from. Um, and they want to know things about their aggregate user base. Um, and sometimes speci about specific customers that they have. So one thing they often care about, for example, is share of wall. So you are, you know, Eastern Bank, that's a Northeast Bank. Um, and you know that other, that, that this individual has other accounts. Uh, these could be credit card accounts that have nothing to do with you. They have an American Express, for example, uh, but they also have a credit card with you. Uh, you know that they have deposit accounts. Uh, so in, in the lingo, deposit accounts are like checking and savings accounts. These are your operating accounts for day-to-day -day money in and out. Uh, but maybe they also have bank accounts at Shamp, uh, excuse me, Bank of America. Where do you fit into that picture? So you can kind of take the accounting data and like, Try to work backwards, but a lot of it's unstructured, uh, and so trying to infer things uh, about users um, is actually where ML really shines, um, because you can take regional uh, components into account, like where you are in the country, uh, and plus this acronym. Chances are, it means you know first bank as opposed to some other bank that has FB as an acronym. Um, but you can't always do this. Sometimes users are like, this is my workman's comp account. And you're like, okay, <laughs> we don't know anything else besides that. 
Um, so we use it to fill in the blanks and work backwards from sparse data. So I guess in comparison to other major uh, AI algorithms in, you know, in the banking sort of industry, um, what separates Monet from those other AI companies and algorithms? So there's a couple of players that are trying to do work in the small business insights um, space. Uh, even Intuit, which makes QuickBooks Online, has tried to do like cash flow forecasting and analysis. And their product apparently wasn't very successful. Uh, not really sure why or the dimensions along which success or failure were dictated. Um, it could just mean that they didn't meet penetration goals, but like a company like Intuit, when we talked to, um, their primary goal is actually getting people to log in to QuickBooks Online more often and updating their books more often. So like not quite like a social media daily active users thing, um, but just to have ongoing engagement with their paid platform. So their goals are, are often not necessarily aligned, not that they're at odds with what a user cares about or a small business owner cares about on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but maybe they're two ships passing in the night as opposed to even plausibly headed in the right direction. We spent a lot of time kind of studying this in particular with our back testing. You know, you can derive uh, linear equations pretty easily that describe, you know, revenue up, revenue, revenue down. Um, you can calculate a compound annual growth rate, which is a pretty bread and butter um, accounting and corporate finance uh, measurement. Um, these are not hard math problems by any means, um, but they're often too coarse. Um, and so we, we regularly conduct back testing, like, okay, a year ago, we thought this entity was gonna do this. What did they actually do? And so sprinkled throughout our insights engine, basically is what it's called, um, are business rules. Like, we're not just gonna calculate the raw compound annual growth rate, we're gonna cap it in some ways, because chances are you're not gonna grow or shrink 500% per year especially as a small business owner. And when your data set's actually quite small, I think the first six months that a business exists, you can conclude really very little about that. Um, you don't know whether they're going to succeed or fail, what their growth rate's gonna be. Do they have product market fit if they're doing something novel? Um, maybe they come up with a marketing campaign that totally changes the trajectory of their revenue. Um, <laughs> maybe COVID hits and their revenue goes to zero. So <clears throat> Mana is offered quite often when somebody is opening an account. This is not exclusively true, but tying the two together. It's a way for a bank to drive engagement with their online portal and also offer the user something that they can't really get anywhere else. Um, <clears throat> and so at account opening, what do you really know about your business and how well you're gonna do? You've got your hopes and dreams. Um, but hopes and dreams don't pay bills. Um, so over time it learns and adjusts. Uh, I will say this, and this is a bit of a counterintuitive observation. To some extent, if you're an established business, you don't care <laughs> what your forecasted cash flow is. 
Um, if you're growing quickly, you probably don't care. And quite often the accuracy of your prediction just has to be plausible. Um, and this is sort of where I think some of the more interesting conversations around as a startup finding your product market fit and understanding what your users actually want could be potentially more fertile ground uh, for conversation. Like, yeah, the computer science stuff is like, it's interesting, <laughs> but it's also not hard. I wouldn't say that we're pushing the frontiers here. It's not like we're, we're coming up with a, a distributed database at cloud scale that's never been done before or something like that. Uh, in a lot of ways, the problems that we work on are fairly mundane. Anyway, not sure I answered your question. Not really. I think for the most part you got around to it, so that it helps. Uh, but um, you, one of the most interesting parts of my is how uh, large, large companies, I guess, don't really care about. Well, I guess they do, but don't. The, the accuracy doesn't matter as much to them, at least for the forecast. So I guess my question is, it's like a two-parter. One, how, what goes into making the forecast really accurate? What challenges does that have? And two, does the forecast accuracy change per company? Yes. So I can't really fill in the blanks on your first one. The second one is actually, yes, we know that we fall down in some cases. Uh, when we're predict well, predicting the future is always fraught with peril, you know? There's a reason that like the most common denominator uh, investment advice is uh, past performance does not indicate future results. Um, and that, that's true in the small for individual businesses as well that are not publicly traded. Um, and so you've got your hopes and dreams, but you also have real world constraints. Um, like for example, our target market is not venture-backed businesses. I don't even know what forecasting cash flow would be like for venture-backed businesses where you have like zero revenue, maybe for a year or two, and then all of a sudden your ARR goes you know, through the roof. Um, so yes, we haven't forked elements of our insights engine yet. Like, oh, when you start to have a, a business that seems to follow this kind of analysis, um, poison case, do something different. We haven't done that um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is that, yes, you could do that, but there's an opportunity cost doing that. If you're doing that, you're not doing something else. Um, software developers are very expensive. <laughs> uh, and when you're a seed stage startup, you have some money, but you have to place your bets very carefully. It's like, you have five $1 bills. You can bet on five different things and that's it. If you place all your bets on one thing, well, I hope it pays off for you, but you're probably not going to succeed um, unless you know for a fact that there's almost unlimited demand for what you're selling and you already have product market fit and you just need to build, build, build. And those are very fun cases, but I would say they get a lot of headlines. I would say the most common case for startups in particular is you have an idea, hypothesis, if you will, and you might be right, partially right. You get some traction. You have to listen to your users. You know, always listen to everything they have to say because maybe what they want doesn't generalize. Um, but you do have to listen to them. And it's sort of this ready fire aim. So you're building and you're testing and you're listening and you're measuring and you're iterating. 
and you're slowly changing the trajectory of your product. I would say that that has definitely been um, something we've done at Monit over the since I've been here is get better at collecting feedback, listening to it, seeing what sells, because we actually have two parties that we are trying to please. There's actually two sides of the platform. There's the bank side of the platform, and then there's the user side of the platform. And we've even imagined scenarios in which we don't have a user side of the platform, and it's all bank focused. And then what does that look like? Um, how do you convince people to connect their accounting packages so that you can see their complete financial picture without some shiny object that they opt into? Uh, and there are, there are actually ways that you do this. Like for example, you could offer, oh, you're, you're buying a new, you're a general contractor, you build houses, you're planning to buy a new truck. Fantastic, your bank can make you a car loan. Uh, and so if you connect your accounting package, we'll give you 10 basis points off your interest rate. That's a very powerful inducement to a resource constrained small business owner. Um, and so in that case, maybe our real business is help, helping deepen and broaden bank relationships with their customers and helping them understand their customers better in a way that benefits both parties. But there wouldn't necessarily be a cash flow forecast and analysis component to the platform. Or if it did exist, it would be focused on smoothing bank underwriting, which is the process of originating the loan. Because you can imagine a case, are you guys from like your college students? I don't know if you have credit cards or know what your credit score is, for example. Um, have you heard the term FICO and FICO score, F-I-C-O, it's an acronym. I have heard about it, but I don't know too much about it. I have not heard yeah. about it. Oh, okay. So you will later. Um, and so like, you know, I have a mortgage on my house, right? So your credit score affects what it costs you to borrow money. Businesses are really hard to come up with a credit score for, uh, whereas individuals, it tends to be easier. Um, and so the FICO score is the typical way that you do this. Uh, considers um, your payment history and your, uh, it's not your debt to income ratio, but it's the amount of debt you have because it actually doesn't care about your income. Um, so you could make lending decisions on, the, um, on a similar basis for small businesses. So maybe actually uh, three years from now, Monet will be in the business of helping banks do better underwriting. Um, by having the, the, the entire picture, financial picture for that entity. So there's any number of ways you can go, but you can't just say, we're definitely going over here because you could be wrong. <laughs> um, so these are the ambiguities that, that we think about and talk about quite a lot. Cool, by that's way, interesting. Not, uh, by the way, I'm not saying that we're definitely gonna do these things. I'm <laughs> saying that like, we have these conversations and we have some hypotheses and we listen to banks. We do a lot of user focus groups, uh, but we also talk to our competition and also our partners. Interesting. Yeah. So um, as you just said, like you started talking a lot about Monet's customers. Um, you mentioned how there are some specific instances where Monet does not have like a specific user. 
So um, I'm looking at your customers on the website. And as you mentioned before, you said uh, the first customer, the first big customer are banks, um, forward thinking banks. And then the second customer are businesses. So how does Monet's platform adapt between these two main customers? Um, what are the significant differences that it has? Well, banks and users want different things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, quite often, well, <laughs> that's the starting point. I think if you were to talk to a small business owner, what do you think of your bank? You would look at them as a vendor and maybe not even a necessarily trustworthy vendor. Uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the financial crisis uh, intimately because I owned a small business and we actually went out of business in 2009. Um, and we were not big fans of our bank at that time. Um, and I think that that kind of stigma remains. Um, and so, you know, if I'm a small business owner and my banker, you know, reaches out to me, how much do I trust that person? Um, there's an angle here where the banker actually has some useful information to you. Yes, it might also plausibly benefit the bank, but like <clears throat> they see that maybe you have a loan that could actually be converted into a different type of loan at a lower interest rate, or that might be subsidized in some way if you were to convert you know, one type of loan into another. And so you might take business from your competing bank uh, and bring it in-house, but the small business owner actually benefits from that. Um, we're working on this now, actually. I won't say too much about it. Uh, it's not like secret or anything. We're just, we're still working through the implementation details of it. We call it next best action. It's like, if you're a small business banker at a regional bank, what can you do that's useful uh, for your customers that isn't spammy, that doesn't, you know, lower the net promoter score <laughs> that a small business owner will have? Um, we'll think about you. Uh, and we think that there are a number of very good ways to improve the relationship on both sides of the fence. Um, and I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of that now. Interesting. So um, you mentioned before that Monet can uh, predict a clear view of the current and future cash flow. Um, just like going a little uh, back a little bit. So does Monet conduct any risk analysis of the assets that like banks or these small businesses have? Um, no, not necessarily. We can see, you know, the, the account type. Is it an asset account? Is it a liability? Um, and that's about it. Um, that's not really sort of the business that we're in. Um, I'll give you another example of like looking at the composition of a small business owner's accounts and the things that you can tell them. We have cases where we have small business owners that have three years of operating expenses just sitting in their bank accounts, their business banking accounts. And we can see that this has been true for a long time. Um, maybe it's time to take money out of the business and move it into your personal uh, accounts. Um, there's reasons you would wanna do this. I mean, one of the whole reasons 
for creating, say, an LLC is to shield one's personal assets in the event that there's an untoward event and somebody sues you, uh, or you are, or your business becomes liable for something financially liable. Um, typically, you can't go after the owner's assets unless they've done things wrong. Um, but by having three years of operating expenses in that bank account, if you are sued, that's fair game for somebody else to, to take from you. Whereas if you've paid the taxes on it and moved it onto your personal balance sheet, uh, it's considerably more difficult to do that. You also have cases where um, small business owners are so focused on their business that they don't set up retirement accounts. So when you guys go off uh, and you start working, doing whatever it is that you end up doing, you know, 401ks are going to be a thing for you. There's tax advantages to that. And so small business owners may not take advantage of that either. Um, hey, maybe you should have a 401k, an IRA, a SEP IRA, something like that. There's significant tax advantages to doing that. And so these are also some of the next best action things that a banker could prod you about. Hey, take some money out, put some money away for retirement. It's okay. You have enough money. Your business isn't going to fold tomorrow. Um, and sort of have a more healthy relationship with uh, moving money from the business into your pocket, because that's kind of the point of having a business as a small business owner is to pay yourself. So I guess uh, shifting toward like, I guess more modern events, uh, how, how has the pandemic affected Monet? Has it, you know, have you had like an influx of clients that people want to do more remote uh, financing? Yeah, so no, actually that, that has not been a driver. Actually what has been, so the pandemic changed a couple of things. There was the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, which you may or may not have heard of. Uh, it's all over the news in, in mid 2020. Um, and then, yeah, the PPP actually was the, the driver of a lot of sort of demand for what we were doing. Uh, we had some insights that were specifically related to the usage of PPP funds um, and whether or not you would have to pay these things back. So the, in a nutshell, and I was working a very different job <laughs> during that time. Uh, and so I'm not super familiar with the nuts and bolts of the Paycheck Protection Act, but basically it's a big bucket of money that was allocated um, fire hosed to many businesses all over the country, very loose criteria for this. Um, and if you used it for maintaining people's paychecks up to a certain amount, uh, or I think it was rent or real estate or something like that, you wouldn't have to pay the money back. It became a grant rather than a loan. And so making sure that you characterized PPP funds accurately in your in your bookkeeping, essentially, uh, was a big determiner of whether or not you would have to pay back that fifty dollars to $500,000 loan that you got. Um, and so we had a bunch of custom insights that we recently just retired, in fact, um, that spoke exactly to this use case because they happened so fast that Tax law tends to move slowly, 
um, modulo small changes to it here or there. PPP was a brand new thing out of the blue. And it takes time for something new to be absorbed, even by a community of subject matter experts um, and to be understood. And there's often ambiguities and rough edges that aren't spelled out because no laws are complete. You have the case law that springs up around them that clarifies them and brings them into sharper focus. PPP is no different. Um, and so we had a bunch of insights around this where we could nudge business owners in one direction or another, like um, your PPP is looking good. You know, all your PPP funds have out, been allocated to things that they are clearly uh, allowed for that are of the grant type as opposed to the you must pay us back type. Um, so at any rate, we had a, a bunch of pandemic related things to help in the to help steer small business owners um, in directions that were beneficial to them. Got it, got it. So um, how does Monet seem to evolve in the coming future? Are there any, um, I guess, important future plans that, that are gonna be coming out? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we're actually talking a little bit about banking and the banking industry. And in the United States, it's a pretty heterogeneous industry. Um, the banks pay us, right? But like, if you're a bank, I assume both of you have bank accounts. Um, you probably have a, an online experience that you log into. Um, well, just about every bank does now. I don't know a single one that doesn't. Um, some of those are commoditized and some of those are fully bespoke. And so, you know, monodapp.io is the standalone app. Um, but banks don't really want that. They want a more integrated experience. They want to bring us into their portal uh, and have our insights alongside, you know, your bank account transaction data. Uh, and so this is <laughs> sometimes easy and sometimes hard, depending on the, the digital banking platform that you as a bank are working on. If you're Bank of America, chances are you're entirely home rolled. If you're a $5 billion bank in Montana, chances are you're using an off-the-shelf product. And so there's a myriad uh, online banking providers. Um, as a small company, we have to prioritize the ones that we choose. So for example, one of the venture funds that invested in us is called JM Fintop. Their LPs are all smaller, regional, et cetera, banks. Um, and a whole bunch of them use Q2, which is uh, probably the 800 pound gorilla of digital banking software um, for the non top 10 banks in the country. Um, so if, you're, if you've got three locations, you might use them. If you have 30 locations, you might use them. Uh, and they have a, like an app store model um, where like, if you're the chief digital officer of a bank, you can literally go through the Q2 catalog and be like, ooh, that looks interesting. Uh, and then you would reach out to us and talk to us. So that's an integration that we did. Um, that's good for us from a scaling perspective. Um, cookie cutter integrations are easier. If like we're, we're talking to an entity in Canada right now, a bank, um, I can't really be more specific than that. They wanna do, they want to consume our backend, so our insights API. 
that's also fairly easy to do. I mean, it's a REST API. This is a relatively solved problem. Um, so you've got the I framed in experience for Q2 kind of works out of the box. You've got the backend uh, insights API that's pretty well solved. And then you've got this space where building digital experiences is not the bank's bread and butter. Um, and they want something in between. They want, gee, that's a nice graph. Can you just stick it here as a widget on a page? What bank digital platform provider are using? And then the answer is, we're not. We built it ourselves or something that's 30 years old. And then you're like, well, that's a much bigger lift. And so crossing that chasm there is a, a problem that we're kind of working on right now. Um, we go where the demand is. You know, if you're going to write a large, if you're a bank and you're going to write a large check, we will work with you um, within reason. Uh, and then if a lift is considerable, we might have to talk about like professional services consulting or something like that. Um, if your annual spend on us is $50,000, which is probably on the small side. Um, and it costs us $75,000 in work to get us embedded in your digital experience. That's not a great place <laughs> to be in, frankly. Um, so there's angles. And it, in some ways, it depends on how modern your stack is as a bank. Um, I forget the uh, root of this question. I feel like I'm headed off into left field right now. Um, and I think that covers the whole, you know, how will it change in the future sort of question, but I guess sort of as a wrap up, um, if any of our listeners are interested in Monet, uh, where can they like reach out to you guys and learn more? Yeah, uh, you can find us at monetapp.io. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, all the usual social media places. Uh, Max runs all those. Uh, he loves to get email from people. Max at monetapp.io. He's our head of biz dev. <clears throat> Uh, he'd probably be a more interesting person to talk to from like a business perspective, maybe not from a technology perspective. Um, but anyway, yeah, I appreciate the time. Okay. Uh, I feel like you wanted to head deep into the technology leads and I was like, oh, let's talk about business. And you guys were like, no, I don't want to. That's <laughs> uh, fine. Uh, it's definitely interesting in its own right. Um, so I greatly appreciate uh, coming on to the podcast. Uh, we'll put all, uh, for listeners, we'll put all the contact information uh, for Monet in our description or wherever you find this uh, podcast. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for the next time.